On Friday, the Education and Science Select Committee reported back to Parliament on a bill that will allow a new type of school, the Partnership School, or Kura Hurua. The schools are based on a model known as charter schools in the United States, where the idea originated, and the Select Committee has heard strong arguments both for and against them. In this Radio New Zealand Insight programme, supporters argue that the schools will provide a better education for children who are currently failing but critics maintain they're a very bad idea. If all goes according to plan, these children skipping out of private school in West Auckland will next year be attending one of the country's first partnership schools. The school, Nakakano, is a Christian Māori bilingual school with 74 students. The principal of Nakakano, Tairangi Allen, says the school has been running on bare bones funding for several years. He says partnership status would be the answer to his prayers because Nakakano has been unable to join the state network as an integrated school and thereby get the same funding as state schools. We've tried, twice we've tried to integrate, but no, it didn't happen. So with the opening of charter schools, it's just, to me, it's just a godsend and it's given us the opportunity to actually forge ahead with our, uh, with our vision. And that is to plant like-minded schools throughout this nation. But not everybody is so enamoured of the plan to introduce partnership or charter schools to New Zealand. In fact, the main groups representing teachers and principals are highly resistant. I'm John Gerritsen, and in this insight, I look at the arguments for and against partnership schools and talk to some of the people who are keen to set them up. If the government gets its way, the legislation allowing partnership schools will be passed in time for the first schools to open their doors at the start of next year. Instead of the state providing education through schools governed by a board of elected parents, it will contract organisations to provide schooling. Those organisations could be a company, a community group or church, and while their schools will be free from most of the rules that govern state schools, they'll be funded the same. Unlike integrated schools, they will not be allowed to charge fees but they will be able to set their own hours, teacher pay and curriculum, and will even be able to negotiate with the government to employ a number of unregistered teachers. Supporters say those freedoms will allow partnership schools to innovate and address the underachievement of Māori and Pacifica children. But critics say similar schools overseas have not helped disadvantaged children and have undermined public schools. The idea originated in the United States about 20 years ago, and is still controversial there today, as charter school opponent Karen Harper-Royal from New Orleans explains. There's this idea that privatizing is better than state-run or government-run public education. And it's really an ide it's a political ideology. There's no real science behind it. It is really an experiment. We want to see if we can remove the uh, public dollars from the government hands and put it into private entities. The charter school model came to New Zealand as a condition of the confidence and supply agreement the ACT Party made with the National Party in December 2011. It came as a surprise because neither party campaigned on a platform of introducing charter schools. 
A charter school working group was set up and decided to call New Zealand's version Partnership Schools because of the partnership they will embody between the Crown, the school's sponsors and their communities. Though it also looked like an attempt to distance the plan from negative press about charter schools overseas. The ACT Party's sole MP, John Banks, is an Associate Minister of Education and responsible for charter schools. I asked him why New Zealand needs them. Well, let's build the platform for partnership schools. The platform is um, a very, very real and catastrophic disaster for Maori and Pacific students in the state school systems as they exist. 40% of Maori and Pacific students don't get the basic NCEA Level 1. And every second Maori and Pacific student never passes NCEA Level 2. In other words, so many of them are falling through the cracks and failing. So we want innovation. Mr Banks is not sure what that innovation will be, but he's confident the schools will be a success. Thank you very much for your submission. You may take it that it has been read. You may wish to it was clear at Parliament's Education and Science Select Committee's uh, hearing of submissions on the Education Amendment Bill that others also believe partnership schools are worth a shot. They include Sita Salupe, the chief executive of the Rise Up Trust, an Auckland group that works with Pacifica families. I have been eyeballing this beast of undereducation for the last 10 years in my community, and I can see the systemic maladministration that has occurred over the last 20 or so years and how it needs to be completely reconstructed to address the needs of our kids. And the Director of External Relations at the Monaco Institute of Technology, Stuart Middleton, is also a fan. We are still unable to bring success to all students and we can't sustain this level of lack of educational achievement. And we just, in a way, in my view, don't have the luxury not to try a partnership school model. We just simply have to work differently. Another strong supporter of the schools is Pem Bird the principal of Te Kura Kopapa Motuhake o Tafuo, and the chairman of the professional arm of Nakura a Iwi, a group of state-funded schools that consider themselves iwi schools. I asked him what's so attractive about the partnership model. The uh, context that we work in clearly demonstrates, clearly indicate to us that we're not getting anywhere near the best, best results, best outcomes for Māori children. So this is a way of addressing that, that the solution lies with us, we can have full control of everything that governs schooling, we shall achieve best results, without a doubt. Pem Bird, who is also the president of the Māori Party, says he wants to free his school from the bureaucracy of the state system. I talked about our catch cry, which is by us, for us, our way. And we can't quite get that under the current regime. Uh, the current regime is heavily dominated by bureaucracy. Are you able to provide any specifics, any rules or regulations that are stopping you from from doing better for Māori children? Well, there's so many. <laughs> for example, I'm having to justify my annual plan and comply to a particular format and template, and I can see why the bureaucrats would want that. But for schools like us who are imbued with the passion to get on and do the job, to get on and produce best results for us, to allow us to innovate around pedagogy to allow us to innovate around teaching. We want to put the focus on that and remove all unnecessary obstacles in pursuit of that cause. But critics of the plan say there's no strong evidence charter schools will be good for anybody, let alone children who are performing poorly. 
A Stanford University study says only 17% of United States charter schools do better than comparable public schools. More recent research from the same university found organisations that run several charter schools have better results for ethnic minority students than public schools. But where charter schools do perform better, there's evidence they use questionable tactics. The president of the Principals' Federation, Philip Harding, says its members have not been impressed by charter schools they visited in the United States. Uh, we've had colleagues that have come back as recently as this year. They've walked in off the street into these charter schools and they've come back appalled at the, the teaching environment for these kids. Instead of seeing kids that are self-regulated, uh, creative little souls that are pursuing their own um, motivations and their own passions and their own interests in a structured environment by clever teachers, they are sitting in rows being drilled and drilled and drilled. And that really lies at the heart of our fears. But the chairperson of the government's partnership school working group and of its partnership school authorisation board, Catherine Isaac, says that sort of thing won't happen here. It is likely that these schools will focus on core subjects, science, technology, English, maths, because those are the areas that do matter most. Um, but that's not to say that they would exclude um, all the other topics, all the other subjects. I think they, they will all try to bring a great richness to their um, offering. And I, again, I know from some of the examples that I've seen, some of the initial expressions of interest, that there are some wonderful um, ideas there and very culturally rich. Catherine Isaac also denies New Zealand's partnership schools will follow the lead of some American charter schools and expel students whose academic performance is not good enough. We will have student engagement indicators being measured, so their ret retention of students is obviously an important one. And if a school is uh, losing a lot of students, then clearly it's not doing its job. Catherine Isaac says partnership schools will have to report to the Minister of Education every three months, and they also have to make an annual public statement of their achievements. The schools will be reviewed by the Education Review Office, just like other schools, but the legislation originally proposed they would not be subject to the oversight of the Ombudsman or the Official Information Act. Catherine Isaac told the Education and Science Select Committee that was consistent with the treatment of other private providers of services to the government, including early childhood centres and private tertiary institutions. But the Chief Ombudsman, Dame Beverly Wakeham, said such a situation would be unconstitutional and not in the best interest of students. We believe it is a constitutional anomaly. Historically, state-funded agencies, particularly those which operate under a statutory regime, have been subject to these acts, and the application of both regimes certainly ensures that state-funded agencies are accountable to the taxpayer for the expenditure of government funds. Oversight uh, by the Ombudsman and the application of the Official Information Act are fundamental safeguards to ensure that all partnership schools operate best practice and their pupils are not endangered. The Chief Human Rights Commissioner, David Rutherford, also urged the committee to change the rules in the interests of students. In the words of the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child, children do not lose their human rights by virtue of passing through school gates. Collectively, the Bill's permission significantly reduced the complaints avenues available for students and their families, including if a student is subjected to violence, bullying or abuse at a partnership school. The Commission actually is concerned that that means the only redress for a human rights abuse in a partnership school would be a full-scale Human Rights Commission of inquiry with all the powers of discovery that we have. And if that's what the Parliament wants to subject the partnership schools to, that's what we'll be left with. The committee was persuaded by those arguments and when it reported back on Friday, it said the schools should be subject to the Ombudsman, although not to the Official Information Act. 
Another issue frequently raised at the Select Committee hearings has been the provisions which allow partnership schools to hire unregistered teachers. Catherine Isaac says it's just another way of giving schools more flexibility. A case in point would be if you wanted to teach animal husbandry, you might want to propose a vet to teach that topic. Now that vet would have to be someone who is able to engage with students and to teach them and understands the curriculum, but that the vet may not be registered for the Teachers' Council. So what we're trying to do here is open up the possibilities. But the president of the Post-Primary Teachers' Association, Angela Roberts, says there's a lot more to teaching than just knowing a lot about a particular subject. What they're suggesting is subject knowledge and keenness is sufficient, that that will more than compensate for an ability to um, have a true professional understanding of pedagogy, of pastoral care, of um, child and youth development, of all sorts of things. Assessment, now that goes right down into the junior school now, of course, how to moderate and assess, how to um, teach to learn, how, you know, it's endless. And if they're saying you don't need to be qualified you don't need to, then why are there universities all over the world who teach people how to teach? Angela Roberts warns partnership schools are likely to use the unregistered teacher provisions as a way of hiring people who are cheaper than qualified, experienced teachers. She says that is a problem in charter schools overseas, just like the problems with rote learning and tough performance requirements for students. But Catherine Isaac says fears about overseas problems manifesting in New Zealand's partnership schools are unfounded. There are charter schools in 41 states in the US, and they're all different. Um, there are two, more than 2 million children in charter schools, and I think there are about 600,000 on waiting lists. So it's a, there's a lot, a lot of evidence there. There, there are many that haven't worked, um, but they tend to be to relate to the model within that state. We've got the great benefit of being able to look at all that evidence, and I'm not denying there have been problems with some, but we've looked at them, and I think we've picked the best of the best. Catherine Isaacs says a careful authorisation process combined with tight contracts and accountability arrangements will ensure partnership schools will be purely beneficial. The Principals Federation's Phil Harding is not convinced by Catherine Isaacs' reassurance. It's all very well for her to sit back now and say we won't let that happen. I think she uses the term we won't let wacky schools get set up. They won't start off wacky. They'll start off plausible and glib and clever. They'll become wacky as they settle into their work and the eye moves on from them. And so it's just, it might sound like paranoia, but I, I've seen it happen overseas. I've heard about it happening right now in the United States and the UK. We don't want it happening here. We've got a world-class system. If you want to talk about raising uh, achievement for the disadvantaged groups, let's have a joined-up, sensible conversation about the features of those learners and do something about it together. And an opponent of charter schools in the United States, Karen Harper-Royal, agrees. You shouldn't even give a crack in the door. You can't let charter schools in. It is the beginning of the end of your public school system. There's no good thing about charter schools that you need in, in New Zealand. Nothing. The government has the numbers in Parliament to approve the partnership school legislation, and by the start of next year, several of the schools are likely to be operating. So how might they be different? John Banks says they could run in similar fashion to an Auckland private tertiary education provider, ATC. Take the ATC, a wonderful private school on the north shore of Auckland that takes kids who have failed in the education system, who mostly don't have NCEA Level 2, and a lot of them don't even have NCEA Level 1. Last year, the 100 students they took in for pre-military assessment and recruitment 
80% of them were recruited into the Army, Navy, Air Force or Police. John Banks says that success was achieved through motivation, an intimate environment and clear goals. OK, if you are on the um, homework list, you need to go and sit on one of the Te Puna Mātauranga So, Makita. A similar approach is taken at Nākākano, where Tairangi Allen explains how he believes his school is different from a state school. Well, really, it's just the Christian values. It is, it's a Christian school with, with Māori philosophy uh, entwined into it. Um, we, we keep good values, we keep good standards. We don't accept what, uh, what uh, normally state school students are able to get away with. So we're very, we're very strict on homework, we're very strict on standard address. How do you enforce those sorts of, um, of disciplines? Well, normally there'd be two students sitting in, in this classroom right now because of misbehaviour. So it's as simple as that, it's just lunchtime detentions, it's that sort of thing? lunchtime detention, uh, after-school detention, cleaning up outside, just all, all, those, all, those, all those sort of things. Initially it used to be dragging tyres, because I'm a rugby fanatic, and uh, I have tyres in that for rugby training. So it'd be dragging the tyres, whether it was a girl or a boy. And uh, after, after dragging tyres a couple of times, you soon want to do your work. The school works with the low-income Māori and Pacifica families partnership schools are aimed at, and also, at times, with difficult students. I'll give you an example of a student who burnt down a couple of buildings in Ōtara. Now, no South Auckland school would take him. One day in the school, he wants to fight me. And I said, I'd suggest that you think hard before you do that. Because... <laughs> so, anyway, for two years I persisted with him. He used to come to school stoned. He used to come to school drunk. And I just say, go and have a sleep. And just persist with him week after week. Until finally he realised. And he entered a, a speech competition. And it was the first success he'd ever had in education. First ever. And that just turned him around from there. You know? I'm not saying that all of a sudden he became academically astute. All I'm saying is that it changed his life around. For him to have believed in himself. Now, you know where he is? He works for Mal Meninga over in Australia. He rings me and he says, Papa, I'm doing well. Though Tarangi Allen previously pursued integrated status for his school, he says he would now prefer a partnership school agreement because of the greater flexibility. He says he would consider opening for different hours and he would also like to use unregistered teachers, such as having a business student from a university to teach business studies. Have a look at one, uh, for example. Okay, have a look at George's one because they're nice and large. Another potential charter school is Mount Hobson Middle School. Like Nakakano, it's a private school started in Auckland by a husband and wife team, but that's where the similarity ends. It charges $12,000 a year, and its airy Remuera Villa is a stark contrast to the rundown breeze block former rugby club that Nakakano calls home. Effectively, there are five classes within the school at the moment. Uh, the group that are sitting out the front uh, at the tables. The academic manager of Mount Hobson, Alwyn Paul, says with classes of no more than 12 students, it's different from state schools in several ways. We're different in terms of class size. We're different in, different in terms of day structure. So we have this academic morning where the students really are head down, quiet, working hard, uh, and in the afternoon they're going to something that's different, that's physiologically different, like a music or a, um, an art or a sport. Uh, and you know, we, we're probably in a situation too where we can guarantee the quality of our teachers, um, and, and that helps a great deal.
but Alwyn Paul isn't seeking to have the private school he and his wife founded turned into a partnership school. Instead, he hopes to set up three new schools in Otara, Henderson and Whanganui, all with small classes but catering for low-income families. We would look at probably 15 students per class, possibly, in, a, in an ideal facility, and funding that according to the partnership school's uh, numbers, we can't see a problem. Really? Is that because I mean, it's the same funding as a state school, but you're talking 15 students a class, and you know, when you look at a state school, you're often on the upper 20s. Yeah, but we're also not talking about maintaining the, the same level of uh, structural facilities and all of the maintenance that goes with that. Um, we minimise our administration, and so a lot of the administrative structures that can soak up a massive amount of funding, we, we just don't have to deal with, and we don't deal with. Elwyn Paul says he'll need the partnership school's freedoms to do that, as the model he wants would not work under the normal state school rules. Part of that model is small class sizes. The government controversially tried, and failed, to increase class sizes at state schools, citing the work of high-profile education researcher John Hattie, who says other factors are more important for children's learning. But Elwyn Paul says they're important. Everyone... Uh, maybe may apart from John Hattie's research, advocates that, that smaller classes are really important. Um, and I think, to be fair to John Hattie's meta-analysis on it, the things that he has above class size are facilitated by class size. And so those things we can do. OK, everyone, you ready? Focus, focus. At this state school, Fairburn School in Otahuhu, the principal, Frances Nelson, says she would also like to have smaller class sizes, but she would not find any use for the so-called freedoms partnership schools will have. Most of those are freedoms that I wouldn't actually want in terms of changes that we would make in our school. The thing that probably affects us most is getting the funding to increase the number of staff in lower the teacher-pupil ratios for those students who need it. And the PPTA's Angela Roberts is sceptical of the innovations promised by partnership schools. What they're suggesting is that there's an opportunity for innovation. Now, there has been not one example given by anybody that I have heard of that is not already available or happening somewhere in the state sector. Okay, The only thing that a charter school gives an opportunity for is profiteering and for the employment of non-registered teachers. Angela Roberts goes further. She suspects the real motivation for running a partnership school is to make money. It is a great opportunity to, to make money. And, you know, people say that we're scaremongering because there is no opportunity at the moment to make money because they can't charge fees. But it is the thin end of the wedge. If you look at the United Kingdom, they have announced that, you know, their schools now, the academy schools, they're comfortable with the idea that these schools make money in the future. So this is the problem with the legislation. You start unravelling it and... and you know, the whole thing will come undone. Catherine Isaac says there are no for-profit proposals among the 35 indications of interest the Partnership School Working Group has received. But she says there's evidence from overseas that for-profit schools are a good idea. If a not-for-profit school is doing extremely well and becomes very popular, what happens is you get a long waiting list. 
whereas a for-profit, and this is especially true in disadvantaged areas in Sweden, for-profits are able to replicate themselves quite quickly. So they respond more readily, they can respond more readily to meet demand, and they duplicate. How can they be guaranteed to be providing a quality education when they're trying to make a profit out of the same funding that a state school's providing entirely to provide education? Well, I mean, that's obviously up to them to work out how they can do it. Generally speaking, I would say economies of scale. Um, I would say it's highly unlikely that there would be any for-profit seeking to get going in New Zealand and at this early stage because it would be very difficult, I think, to, to run a school on a profit, especially in the areas that we're asking them to locate. Catherine Isaac doesn't believe partnership schools will initially have much impact on state schools because there will not be many of them but she expects their success will prompt other schools to lift their game. Nobody will have to send their children to a partnership school because enrolment is voluntary and the schools will not have zones. If there are more enrolments than places available, the schools will run ballots. They won't be able to simply select the best students. But in many parts of the country, student numbers are declining and there have been official warnings of a growing need to rationalise schools in some areas. That environment is adding to fears the new schools will suck students from neighbouring state schools. Philip Harding says the impact could be very negative. We know that these schools will have uh, their own selection procedures, and I, I've seen uh, in the American system, for example, 2,500 would-be charter school attendees sitting in a basketball stadium waiting to see if their name gets pulled out of the hat. Now what this leads to is a sense of somehow we've been disadvantaged. We didn't get into one of these wonderful charter schools, which I would argue are not wonderful at all, but are perceived to be wonderful, and so somehow they have missed out. And this leads to a disenchantment with the local school, a sense that you're not connected anymore, that it's not doing enough, and that you somehow are missing out. OK, but if you're being deprived by going to their state school, which should be providing... Except that, that if people lose confidence in that school, and if that becomes a school that you don't want to be at, then that school becomes progressively ghettoised, and then not even teachers want to go and work at it. You can't get the best teachers to teach in that school. John Banks says state schools could end up with partnership schools not just down the road, but on their own site. Schools will be able to co-locate and share resources and amenities. So you're suggesting a partnership school could co-locate with a state school? It could co-locate with a state school for buildings and uh, playing fields uh, and amenities. Okay, have you had proposals to do that? At oh state? yes, we've had proposals for that. Would a state school agree to that though? Well, I mean, there's some very, very good leaders in state schools that clearly recognise that uh, quite a group uh, of their students are failing. They want to do something about it and the opportunity of a partnership school um, for them would be very, could be very useful. Well, have you had pr proposals from state schools that would like to become partnerships. We've had proposals from state schools that would like to, within the grounds of the state school, set up a partnership school. Quite what effect the ACT Party's version of charter schools will have on the school system and on children remains to be seen. Partnership schools are not a specific educational approach or intervention with a proven track record. They're a way of purchasing schooling that might or might not bring better results. They might go no further than a handful of niche schools or they could become a movement that threatens or irrevocably changes the state system. I'm John Gerritsen, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet 
at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by Jeremy Veal.